Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, they deliver them to your front door. And by Jill Harrigan, Heather McKinnon, Ellen Gross, Valerie Jacobson, Chantelle Oliver, Jamie Lang, Maria Sanchez, Mandy Booty, Monique Harris-Pixado, Caitlin McTaggart, Bella, Jessica Smith, Brenda Larson, Louise Thomas, and in memory of Craig Williamson. Thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't do this without you. Happy Halloween, Olivia! Happy Halloween! Here we are again. Yay! Season of spookiness. <laughs> Death, ghosts, or in this case, witches. <gasps> yes! We are going to Salem, Massachusetts. Ooh. Where else do you go at Halloween? Ooh, I love Salem. A haunted place, an eerie place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely jam-packed with tourists in October <laughs> every year. <laughs> and of course, it goes all the way back to the infamous Salem Witch Trials of 1692. Yeah. One of America's more um, interesting episodes. <laughs> hmm. 19 people were hanged, one was crushed to death, and four died in prison. Mm. And even though that happened, what, 330 years ago, in Salem, they say, the spirits of everyone involved are still there. Mm. <laughs> There's a ghost story about pretty much every single one of them. Stories of curses on the town, you know, sites associated with all of them. Except mm. one. Mm. Tituba. <gasps> ah. The first accused. And bizarrely, the one who got away. Wow. She was the star witness, the key figure in the entire <laughs> trial. And yet, there are no stories about her. Yeah. I had never thought about that. I think that she left Salem all those years ago, and she doesn't ever want to go back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How come everybody involved in the Salem Witch Trials is preserved in the folk memory of the town except her? What does it mean? (laughs) <laughs> I'm Katie Nelson And I'm Olivia Mickle And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating Women You've Never Heard Of In Salem, I spoke to Hello, my name is David, David Tullis. Tullis I'm a tour guide in Salem, Massachusetts And I get to talk about the Salem Witch Trials pretty much every day With various tourists from all over the world Salem is such a fascinating town mm. Salem is now the Jerusalem for witches mm. And we have people from all over the world And it's arc as a place, 
Amazing. There's not really another city that has the same association with witchcraft in the same level. Really. Yeah. Every every business there has something witch-related. The witch omelet, the witch kiss cocktail, there's the witch city consignment, there's the witch city taxi cab. The police <laughs> officers wear a patch that has a witch on it. Really? Yeah, it's just everywhere. <laughs> So we are, of course, talking about Tituba. Tituba! Also pronounced Tituba. This is a very strange moment in American history. This is the worst outbreak of witchcraft that we've ever had in North America. And it's also a period of time that just really captures the public imagination. And to really understand this thing, you have to start with the people who settled Massachusetts originally. And this, of course, was the Puritans. They had a rule about everything from your clothes, your food, how you can celebrate Christmas, literally everything. And when they were in England, they were just so weird and so different from everyone else that most people mistreated them, and eventually they got tired of that and moved. So the Puritans came out to Salem in 1626 because they were looking for religious freedom. However, that's a little bit ironic. Because after these Puritans got here, they then turned around and became really intolerant towards pretty much every other religious group you can think of. They really wanted to try and keep the area a Puritan-only settlement. So if you were a Catholic, if you were a Baptist, or even a Quaker, they would tell you to leave. They might say, all right, you can get off of the boat here, you can use the port, but if you try and stay here, we just might get violent with you. So right out the gate, this group of people, they're pretty extreme. And Puritans, they're like history's great extremists. <laughs> but witches were burned elsewhere. It's not unique to Puritans. Yeah. The difference, though, is really scale. Usually they would accuse somebody, hey, you're a witch, they hang them, then they're done. However, because of all these different factors in Salem, when they say witchcraft, these people who are just so repressed kind of just explode, and we have the bloodiest saga, really, in the history of Salem. And right at the heart of it all is Tituba, an enslaved woman from South America, and she is the central figure who remains mm. maybe the most mysterious person of all. It's such a fascinating tale. Yeah. As people look at this thing, they see a reflection of themselves. They see whatever they want to see. They see a religion gone mad. They see the more Marxist class warfare at play. They perhaps see gender roles and, of course, race and religion. So you can pick so, your favorite theory and exactly. champion it's it. Almost, it's a personality test. <laughs> Take your pick. Which one of these do you think is the story of Tichuba? Hmm. In Salem in 1692. What we really have here is a situation where a number of factors come together. But of course, once they got to the new world, they found out that life was pretty hard. There was a lot of things they had to deal with, including the fact that there was already people living there. And when they encountered the different native tribes, these Puritans saw these people as pagans, as savages, because they were not Christians. And unfortunately, that did lead to conflict. This is why Salem, Massachusetts is the birthplace of the National Guard, because the first militia mustered there to deal with this threat. Um, There was also... Um, They also had to deal a lot with smallpox. That was a big issue that killed a lot of people. 
And of course they had to deal with the weather. And yes, it is true that Massachusetts is sort of famous for its rather severe winters, but it can get pretty hot in the summer too. In fact, the year of the trials, there was actually a drought and a lot of the crops have died. So these people are actually hungry when this happens. And you can kind of see this whole story take shape here. Really extreme, tightly wound religious society dealing with stressful lives. And there's actually a lot going on here. It first started with the family of the local minister, a man by the name of Samuel Paris. Samuel Paris. Paris is kind of an interesting figure. What a guy. He really didn't want to be there. <laughs> to me, he's like that classic example of a patriarch with money who really just is not good at anything. <laughs> he just kind of like stumbles his way through life sucking at everything. Hmm. Politics. In this time, there was Salem Village and there was Salem Town. He Salem. fails at his career in the Caribbean. Um, but he's still got money, you know, <laughs> in the world that gives such preference to right. rich white guys. He can just keep on going. Fail up. Yeah. So why did the people bring Paris here? Because they want to separate from the village. Why is Paris there? Because he can't do anything else. He failed at Harvard. He had to drop out. He then tried to be a businessman and trade with the Caribbean islands, but failed at that. However, he did pick up a couple of slaves in the Caribbean by the name of Tichuba and John Indian. And he brought them back to Massachusetts, and then he became a minister and then gets told he has to go to Salem, a place that doesn't have a very good reputation, so he's kind of mad. That's a recipe for a disaster. <laughs> I wish we knew more about Tichuba's origins. She came from a native group in South America, and this mm. is post-conquistadors. This is after a 90% death rate. Um, somehow she has survived that, mm. but she's been enslaved. John Indian, the other slave traveling with them, that's her husband. Mm. There was a massive slave revolt which failed in Peru in the mid-1650s. Um, that The tribe that rebelled was wiped out forever. Mm. So she's in Barbados, which is one of the major slave trading capitals, and uh, that's how she comes to be sailing on a ship to Salem, Massachusetts, in the household of Samuel Paris. Mm. She seems to be employed as the caretaker of Samuel Paris's daughter and niece. And one day, out of the blue, his daughter and his niece, Abigail and Betty. These two young girls started behaving very strangely. Sometimes they would run around and bark like a dog. Sometimes they would reach into the fire, grab a log that is lit, and toss it into the middle of the cabin. But most of the time, what they would do is they would just start screaming. And they would start screaming and throwing their arms around uncontrollably for no real reason. And then other times they would enter this weird trance-like state where they would just lay down somewhere and be kind of like in a coma and you couldn't wake them. So of course, Minister Paris sees this, he becomes concerned and he calls in a doctor and he examines these kids, but he can't really find anything physically wrong with them. So using the Puritan mind that he owned, he turned and he says to the minister, hey, this isn't anything I can help you with. This is something that has to be fixed by a man of God. But wait, a man of God, says Samuel Paris, that's me. That's supposed to be me, right? If I'm going to be a good minister and not a failure again, 
<laughs> then my own daughter and niece should not be possessed by the devil. <laughs> when they started the investigation, the first thing that they did is they went to those two young girls themselves and questioned them, which is really incredible because they're only 11 and 9 at this point. <laughs> And there's different interpretations of this, but this probably looked something like a police interrogation. This is a room full of angry old men yelling at you. And in this sort of very stressful, uh, pressure-filled situation, and these old men are saying, who are the witches? Who did this to you? What happened? These kids finally said the name Tichuba. Hmm. Why did they say that? Yeah. It's possible that in this very stressful environment, they said the one name of their caretaker, the person whose job it was to care for these young girls in the Paris home. Oh. They might be saying, not Tituba, <laughs> but instead, Tituba. <laughs> yeah. Help. And if that's the case, oh man, yeah. what a sad tale. <laughs> or... It's also possible that they just sort of pointed the finger at the easy target because, of course, she is a slave. Huh. And they say, Tichuba, are you a witch? She doesn't really seem to understand what is being said. So Minister Paris, who, again, is not a very nice person, beats her. Huh. And then eventually she says, yes, fine, stop. I just don't want to be hit anymore. And then he says, okay, what have you told these kids? And he, she says, well, it's possible that I may have told them about the various sort of cultural things from her homeland. Hmm. That could include possibly fortune telling. There's a lot of different things on this of whether, you know, mm. let's talk about your future husband, that sort of thing. Yeah. Hard to say for sure. What's clear to me about the whole story of her confession is that she is a just masterful storyteller. Hmm. Stacy Schiff describes Tituba's confession as hauntingly specific and gloriously vague. <laughs> she confesses, oh, yes, I was listening to the devil. Oh, yeah, yes, we did have meetings in the woods. And then as, it's obviously just leading the witness. They're asking these leading questions. Everything they ask about, oh, yeah, she's got details. So maybe she was very aware of that psychology and said, well, yeah. all right, like, time, to, yeah. time to make it big. Well, I know what they want. Yep. I'm just kidding. Of course <laughs> I hung out with the devil. Like, what <laughs> else would you think is going exactly. on? Exactly. And her confession goes on for days. Everybody else, they're just questioned. They're like, I didn't do it. No, yeah. I didn't do it. And then they're killed. But every time they bring back Tichiba, she's like, I got more stories yeah, for you Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's a modern Scheherazade, right? Like, as long yes. as she can keep giving them more, they're not going to kill her. Yes, she saw a hog and a great black dog. There was a red cat. There was a, a yellow bird. There's a hairy creature that walked on two legs. Oh, there was another animal she couldn't remember, but it had wings and two legs and a head like a woman. And and the devil promised she could have this bird. I mean, she's just like incredible stories that she spins. So she's obviously really into it. <laughs> Why? What does it mean? Yeah. People say that she must have been pressured by her master, by Samuel Paris, mm. to confess. Why would she confess so swiftly and so creatively if he mm. hadn't told her, you cooperate with these people and, you know, whatever they suggest, you agree to it. Mm. 
But these girls then say that there's not only just a witch, but a coven of witches. And they say that they have gone out into the woods, participated with this group of witches in whatever it is they actually do, and that is ultimately the cause of all their strange behavior. Hmm. Now, they say to them, okay, so who else was out there? And they say, well, we can't say, we can't say. And they say, well, you better say. They ask her things like, was there a book? Oh, yes, definitely. Sure, there yeah. was definitely a book. It was a big or small. Oh, I, I don't know. I can't I can't remember. Mm. You know, Were there names in it? Oh, yeah, lots of names. Well, what names? You know, he didn't let me see the names. I don't know. <laughs> and so that level of cooperation makes a lot of people say, now, this is Samuel Paris's doing. He mm. made her take the fall. So is she a genius mastermind or is she the ultimate victim? Yeah. Or it all really happened, or she really thought that it all happened. There's so many different ways to see it. And eventually, after they've questioned them for so long, they start telling this description of a man that they see out there in the woods. And eventually, they decide that this man that they have seen dressed entirely in black is a former minister by the name of George Burroughs. And when they say that name, that shocks everybody. Because they're Puritans. To find out your old minister is now a witch, well, that's quite shocking. So, of course, they go and arrest him as well. Then, the hysteria spreads. Those two young girls had a little circle of friends, including Anne Putnam. They sit around, they hang out, and they talk about things. And in this case, it just so happened to be about witches. And so we see these other three girls start making their own accusations. And it works. Everybody believes them. They accuse a woman named uh, Bridget Bishop, who is a not very well-liked woman in the area. And then they accuse an old woman who can't make it to church named uh, Rebecca Nurse. And they start just accusing people at random. There was even a point where the sheriff, George Corwin, took these young girls out of Salem. And they went throughout the rest of Essex County. And he said, okay, tell me who the witches are. And they would make all the people stand in the middle of the town, and these young girls would more or less just point at somebody. And they said, I saw her at the uh, witches' gathering, and I saw her. What? We should note at this point, the people that these kids accuse when they're doing that are very much the easy targets. Hmm. They're people who are just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's mentally ill. Somebody with a physical disability. Maybe someone who just doesn't really get along with their neighbors. Anything like that really seems to have made you a target. <laughs> and uh, it works. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and people believed them. Yeah. Now, that really makes me think, what power? And yeah. if you're a young girl in the patriarchy of patriarchies <laughs> of Puritan New England, and you're totally powerless in life, and you do believe witchcraft is real, mm. would you try it? Would you try it just to desperately have some kind of control or say in who or what has access to you? Yeah, I mean, if it's your only chance at any sort of autonomy. Yeah. I mean, putting my 11-year-old self in that position, <laughs> pretty sure 11-year-old me would be like, wait, I can just point to someone and say... She put a spell on me. And then that person gets arrested and likely killed. Yeah. It's, Whoa. It's a <laughs> terrifying amount of power to put in a not yet fully developed 
moral yeah. and yeah. brain frontal lobe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they arrested bridget bishop and they went into her house they actually found little dolls little poppets they called them so it's probable that she was doing some sort of a folk magic and that's how you get a full-on panic. Yeah. The actual panic set in. That's the hysteria part of it, because that's where we see other people come forward. And you might hear something like, oh, I've been attacked by a witch as well. I think it is this person over here who did it, my neighbor whom I've never liked anyway. Please get rid of him for me. Uh-huh. And you can kind of see how this goes. Uh-huh. And they start arresting a number of people, mostly women, but you do see a couple of men, mostly the elderly, getting accused. And then something very strange happened. One of the sheriff's deputies turned around and he said, you know, we're hanging all of these people for witchcraft, and yet we're not really doing anything about the Paris girls. You know, they supposedly uh, participated in witchcraft as well, which is punishable by law here. And then guess what happened? These two young girls turned around and they said, he's a witch, and then he got hanged. Um, there's a man by the name of John Proctor who also speaks out against this and he says this is just a psychological thing and all you need to do is just kind of give them a good whack and they get their senses back and he gets hanged as well most people in Salem are just sort of letting this happen they're just sort of putting their heads down because it's scary What's going to happen? And this whole time, even though Tituba is the star witness and she's given them all these details, they never kill her. And that um, sort of leads into the big mystery about her. Maybe you're looking for experiences for your kids this holiday season instead of stuff. Girls Can Crate delivers a monthly package to your kids that teaches them about a real woman who changed the world. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two to three hands-on STEAM activities, and more. It really is inspiring, exciting, and they would make an amazing gift. Go to girlscancrate.com and use the code HERNAME, all one word, to get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription that you order. Girls Can Crate teaches girls that they can be and do anything. Tichibo is being held in the Salem Dungeon, and in this time, you actually had to pay for your stay in this dungeon. You had to pay for the food that you ate and basically pay rent for the stall that you occupied. But you can't pay. How does she survive when everyone else was killed? But yeah, uh, Tichuba has occupied this very interesting point in pop culture because of the play the Crucible, and then, of course, different film adaptations. There's a couple other books kind of based on her. And a lot of people think of it as just sort of a strange coincidence that the young, probably Native American woman survived when everybody else was killed. Hmm. 
Um, it's probable that what happened was is this debt was now the responsibility of Samuel Paris, and what he did is that he then took Tichuba and sold her and then used that money to pay off the debt. Wow. However, there's not a very clear record of what really happened to her. Hmm. Okay, so the judge and the sheriff, they're related. <laughs> and when they convict people of witchcraft, they claim their land. <laughs> and so some people look at that and go, Hmm. <laughs> is this just one giant land grab? Yeah. In which case, Tichuba wasn't killed because she didn't own anything. Yeah. All right, guys, we are uh, ready to keep moving? It's interesting. The only real thing left in Salem <laughs> that's associated with the witch trials is Judge Corwin's house. The judge mm. who, you know, made this whole disaster happen. The owners have named it the Witch House right. <laughs> in order to get <laughs> tourists to visit. It's a little bit misleading. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and ain't that always the way that it's the it's the male patriarch's house that survives. Wow. But kind of deliciously ironic that now it's called the Witch House. That's a kind of, you know, finger to the judge. <laughs> There's also a question about the Corwin family, Judge Corwin and Sheriff George Corwin, mm-hmm. them trying to capture land. There's a, a good example with the uh, one gentleman who was accused named Philip English, and he got accused and they seized his land, but he sort of got it back later on. And so if this was all just a big plan to capture all this land and become rich and stuff, then they didn't do it very well. Furthermore, when they killed Giles Corey, Corey had actually done enough legal shenanigans before his death to ensure that the land that he owned stayed in his family. And indeed, it did. So he went to his death for no particular reason. He didn't need to be pressed, but somehow he chose to. Wow. Okay, tell me about Giles Corey, man. Giles Corey was a curmudgeonly old man. He was actually in his 80s, and his wife got accused and kind of said, well, I don't know, maybe she is a witch. That would make some sense here. And so he's not seen very uh, well now. At any rate, they eventually arrested him, and they took him down to this courthouse, and he refused to participate. He refused to say whether or not he actually was a witch, because if he entered a plea and was found uh, guilty of this, then they could seize his property. Again, he did enough legal shenanigans to prevent this, and so there is really no reason for him to do this. Some people think that he did this because he felt bad about his life, and he felt bad about testifying against his wife, and he felt bad about being part of this angry mob that beat this guy to death, and maybe that was his penance. But what a way to die. They took him outside, they put him in this hole in the ground, and they put a wooden board on top of him, and then they started stacking rocks until the weight got to be too much and he was crushed to death. But while this is going on, occasionally they would walk over and say to him, Are you a witch? And this angry old man would just start swearing and say, Give me more weight, and damn ye all to hell. And while he was cursing, he cursed the sheriff and the people of Salem. The curse, though, on the sheriff supposedly still exists. 
a little while ago, a man by the name of Bob Cahill, who is a fairly well-known historian in the area, and was also the sheriff of Essex County, did some research into his predecessors. And he found that pretty much everyone who held the position of sheriff of Essex County either stepped down due to heart or lung-related illness or died from a heart attack. And so he retired from the office of sheriff. And that is known as the curse of Giles Corey. Wait, hold on. <laughs> if anybody was going to curse the town, if anybody was innocent in all this, mm -hmm. and, I don't know, came from a cultural tradition of curses and magic, if anybody was going to curse the town, I'm saying, wouldn't it be Tichuba? Yeah. Why isn't it Tichuba? Why is this random old man the one <laughs> who is remembered as the one who cursed the town? Yeah. A point to which we shall return. Carry on. <laughs> There's no person in this whole story that is really like the good person. All of them kind of have their different issues. However, I have been compared a little bit to the character George Burroughs. He actually went up to Maine. And that was where the sheriff had to go to arrest him. And he decided he was not going back to Salem. And he fought back so hard that they thought this guy was possessed. And while they were fighting with him, there was this thunderstorm that happened. This guy's definitely a witch. Maybe he's the devil. And so they arrested him and brought him back to Salem. He's convicted in the court. They take him to Gallows Hill. And right before he hangs, he decided to say the Lord's Prayer. And he said this prayer perfectly from start to finish. And he said it with so much sincerity that it scared the crowd. One or two people even cried. Because... They didn't think it was even possible for a witch to pray. And what if we hanged the wrong man? But good thing the minister Cotton Mather was there. He turned, he says to the crowd, don't worry, this is the devil trying to trick you. And George Burroughs hangs. But there's a handful of people who remembered this. And that sometimes can plant a seed. Her nine conspirators that she describes um, became 24, it became 40, eventually 100, and finally 500 people <laughs> accused of witchcraft. <laughs> wow. And then we get to the governor of Massachusetts. His wife gets accused, and that's simply a bridge too far. And he goes, nope, that's uh, not going to happen here. And then he more or less just stops this thing. Hmm. And he dissolves the warrior interminer, the court that was hearing these trials. And then he starts the process of freeing people hmm. who were in jail. But after the witch trials ended, uh, most of the people who were involved really didn't uh, face any consequences. They kind of just scatter and, in some cases, disappear from history. Now, let's dive into the mystery of Tituba. Hmm. Here we have this young Native American slave who's accused of witchcraft. Somehow she gets away? Um, hmm. Runs away? 
is sold. So how do we explain it? What are the bigger dynamics going on? What social forces are at play in this mm. crazy moment? Yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating to look at witch trials as they usually start with the least powerful, right? They start with Mm-hmm. women the slave uh, yeah, yeah they start with women they start with old women they you know historically throughout the world they start with people who are odd yep but in a society where there's no other way to remove the great and powerful right mm. you know you cannot make any other accusation against these people and be taken seriously but you can point your finger and say witch and <laughs> get that person thrown in jail, you know. I mean, there's a lot of motivation there for a lot of people. Whereas Tichuba is not, no one is motivated oh. to do anything with her. She's not important enough for anyone to care very much, Good right? Point. Yeah, she doesn't have a, like a horse in the race. Yeah, nobody's going to benefit no from her being hanged. It's also, to me anyhow, a mark of class warfare. The very first person who is accused is this enslaved woman. When they come and arrest her, she can't very well say, hey, where's my lawyer? So they just take her. And then we travel through the rest of the community. And we start at the bottom, of course, and then we go to different people who are not very well liked. Um, Sarah Good, I believe, was homeless. Her daughter was homeless with her, Dorothy Good. And they were both arrested. There's the, the other obvious thing to say is, well, witchcraft is an offense against Christianity mm-hmm. in this format, and no one cares or expects Tichuba to be Christian. Slaves aren't actually really people, and it doesn't actually really matter so much. She can't... It, it's a weird paternalistic misogyny mm-hmm. that says she she's like a child and can't understand just like the oh, girls yeah. are children and can't understand so they can't be held accountable uh, yeah she can't yeah. be held accountable because she's not really even a whole person yeah in fact david tolis talks about that too mm-hmm. we had a conversation about how how that kind of takes away the girl's agency to just say like oh they're these weird innocent bystanders and mm-hmm. it's a complex system they didn't understand but one of the ways you could frame these girls is like these are psychopaths. vindictive, yeah. <laughs> manipulated an entire society in a spectacular way. Yeah. Some people say, well, perhaps the men and their families are telling these young women who do the, to accuse, and then they just do it, and as such, they're kind of the mouthpiece. And that's a fairly common theory. But let's remember that there's around 200 people who got accused. So it's a little bit hard to say that that's the case for every single instance. In some of my history classes, I talk to uh, my students about hegemony and how Mm. you can look at any narrative in human history and put on a different lens. Um, You can see it through the hegemony of race. You can see it as an issue of gender. You can see it as an issue of social class. You can see it as nationality, religion, you know, and depending on those pairs of glasses that you put on, the Mm -hmm. story turns into something just radically different. And that disputes among historians are almost always about what hegemony is at the root of all this. Mm -hmm. Is this a story that's about gender or is this a story that's about race? Is this a story that's about religion? Is this a story that's about class? And and all of those factor in hugely to the Mm -hmm. Salem witch trials. 
I often talk to a lot of people who are kind of surprised when they find out that there was men who were accused of witchcraft. And indeed, there was men who were accused. There's also the reality that many of the people doing the accusing were other women, mostly young women. It's a situation where I think that some of these young women did a lot of bad things, and they just can't really accept that these young girls did bad things, so they want to shuffle it off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And having said that, Samuel Paris, George Corwin, some of these characters involved in this who were men were absolute assholes mm -hmm. and should not have held the positions that they had, but they did. Lately, it's fashionable to point out how it's about race, that, of course, you've got this woman of color who's the first accused. Mm. She weaves these tales from a far away, exotic, maybe scary place, and that just freaks everybody out. There's another little detail from the court records um, that people are paying more attention to these days, and it's the girl's description of George Burroughs, that guy who ran away to Maine. Saying, hey, we saw a black man or man in black out in the woods leading this group of witches and then that becomes George Burroughs. Yeah. However, in today's world, the word black is pretty much synonymous with the word African, of African descent. Mm -hmm. It was not necessarily back then. It can have a couple of different contexts. It can be um, basically just a shadow. It could be the sort of shadowy figure standing back in the trees. But then they also sometimes use the word black in the same way that a modern person might use the phrase person of color. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is not Caucasian, but not specifically African. So arguing that it's about race is a pretty tenuous place to be. Mm. Others interpret this story as a kind of cautionary tale about religion. Pretty much all of these characters are Puritans. All of them. Even the people who spoke out against it. So to say that this is just what this group of people believes and that's what they're running with doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because then you go, well, what about Proctor? What about these people who said, no, this isn't right? Mm -hmm. It's clearly an interpretation of religion that is being used for some other purpose. But what that purpose is, is a little bit hazy. Some say, well then, maybe there is no social explanation. Maybe it is medical Mm. <laughs> Maybe we can explain it with science. Mm. There's a substance called ergot. What ergot is is a type of fungus that can grow on wheat if you store it improperly. If you eat this stuff, you will indeed hallucinate. So the theory states that somehow these kids got into this stuff without knowing what it was, ate, went on this cosmic trip through time and space, and this just gets misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. When I first heard all about the trials, this was the theory that I leaned towards the most. I am slowly walking back from it. Hmm. Um, remember, it was a drought, and that would make it hard for the dampness to get into these food stores to make the wheat uh, be infected with ergot. Hmm. Also, ergot is really dangerous, and it is quite poisonous. And if you eat it multiple times, you will have some pretty serious symptoms and probably die. So if these kids are eating it constantly for these different episodes that they're experiencing, why didn't they die? Huh. Um, there's also weird symptoms with it, like supposedly your fingers start changing colors because it affects your circulation. And it's such there are no reports of that happening to these kids. Huh. I think there's still a possibility that um, Abigail Williams, uh, the niece of Samuel Paris, had epilepsy, and then the other kids just followed along. Huh. 
although they knew what epilepsy was. And so if that is the case, then the doctor is just simply incompetent. And he really missed it, which is possible. At this point, I tend to think that this is more of a psychological episode that occurred. And we've seen many cases of mass delusion happen throughout history. We see all kinds of different people doing things just because the crowd's doing it. You throw in the fact that they're fairly young, they're not living happy lives, and this is something different. This is something new that they can attach themselves to. At least for me, the answer to which of these glasses should we be looking through, which of these, you know, which of these ones is right, is yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's always all of them, right? It's, yeah. It's always all of these things, and that's the struggle, is that's to what, yeah. see the things that you aren't, to know what you don't know. As in our own lives, and to me, this is the profound takeaway, one of the great takeaways from history, that when you look at an event in the past, it's almost never a single hegemony at play. Mm. It's almost never just race, just class, just nationality. It's a it's a really complex concoction. And the same thing is true today mm. that I am personally wary of anyone that is spinning me a narrative that's trying to convince me that anything happening today is just this one hegemony, that it <laughs> all boils down to this one hegemony. It's all of them as complicated as humanity has has always been. Mm. So as I look back at this whole event that was the Salem witch trials, I see a couple of things at play here. It's very reflective. Whatever you want it to be, whatever one of those theories that you think it is, you will probably see it as you read this information. The other thing is, is that I've really come to the conclusion that there is simply just not one answer. I think there is a multitude of factors that played into this whole event and caused this to happen. So when somebody says, oh, this is religion, oh, this is gender, oh, this is whatever it is, they're really only getting a piece of it. They're maybe getting 10%, depending on what it is they're talking about. They're not really wrong, they're just not as right as they could be. So how much agency did Tituba have? Because one really amazing way to look at her, reading her confession, she's just going to town with a story. She's giving all kinds of details. Mm -hmm. One amazing way to think about her is, did she engineer the biggest witch mania in history? (laughs) It was her confession that changed everything. And she was so colorful in the story, she she's the first accused, and they go, what's going on? Did you speak to the devil? And she goes, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and they're like, well, what? Give me the details. And she gives them details. <laughs> By the end of her confession, they're looking for a whole team of people, animal familiars. There's this strange dark figure. Like, she had just handed mm-hmm. them a witch hunt. It was 
her yeah. that created Which the scene. distracted from her, effectively, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. They're not paying attention to her anymore when there's Gosh, 500 people exactly. involved. And then they ignore her. And then yeah. she walks away. Huh? What if she had resisted? What if she had denied? M- maybe yeah. she would have been the first accused and the first to fall, and it would have been over. <laughs> <sighs> and maybe... Maybe she did get away. I don't know. Maybe the deal was she's going to leave Salem and never come back. And that's why she's still not there today. No ghost story. Maybe she flew away. Yes. I mean, John Proctor haunts the streets. Giles Corey haunts the graveyard. (laughs) But Tituba, she is long gone. Yeah. (laughs) But I like to imagine if Tituba did secretly place a curse on the town... then I can see it playing out today. Because if there's anywhere in the world that is dominated by witchcraft today, it's Salem. (laughs) (laughs) And in that regard, because of the trials and that association with witches, that popularity was born and now there are far more witches in Salem than there ever was in Special thanks to David Tullis, who guides Off the Beaten Track, true history tours of Salem. Look him up next time you're in town. You can find pictures, books, links to academic articles about Tituba on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. Music for this episode was composed by Roman Cano, Kevin McLeod, Elena Naumova, Aaron Kenny, and Esther Abrami. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post all kinds of additional content each week. If you'd like to travel with What's Her Name in 2022, we have a couple more trips planned. One to Greece in May, one to Mexico in September. You can find the details on our website soon, whatshernamepodcast.com. We have so much gratitude for all of our sponsors. You can become a sponsor for as little as a buck a month to help make more episodes happen. And you can get rewarded at different levels with trading cards, subversive cross-stitch patterns and more even a shout out in your own future episode thanks for donating thanks for listening it's the coldest of cold cases five women murdered and mutilated in victorian london but trust me everything you think you know about jack the ripper and his victims is wrong i'm historian hallie rubenhold And when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Rippery Told, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.